Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cinematic Underdogs. I'm your host, Jordan Puga. And I'm your other host, Paul Keelan. And today we are back once again with a regular now. He's our like dystopian sci-fi expert. <laughs> our sci-fi resident. Consultant. Yeah, our consultant. Hey, hey. Uh, SF Covell. What's up, Covell? Hey, man. How are you guys doing? Thanks for having me back. I, I appreciate you uh, letting me back. And I don't mind paying you the $200. Yeah, we're still waiting for the last $200 to clear. Oh, so yeah. we might have uh, to tax some interest oops. onto this one. But, but we'll discuss that, Sorry off, about off, that. Off, the, off the recording now. <laughs> Uh, a check is in the mail. <laughs> It'll be the most money we've made yet from this thing. So uh, we'll take it. We'll take it. Um, I thought it was going to be the other way. I thought we were going to have to send you checks soon. We have you on so much, but. Uh, well, I'm, I'm open to that. <laughs> <laughs> it's reciprocated. My so. partner, he's, he doesn't know how to negotiate. Oh, yeah. You did make money though. No, you made never. something. No, we, we should sell like a product or something. Yeah, then we would be uh, the enemy. <laughs> we discuss stickers for a little bit. We never followed yes. through on that though. But we'll see what the next does. Maybe some koozies or something for the for the beer drinkers out there. We'll figure something out there. We gotta get some merch. <laughs> I feel like that would be proper for our Excellent. demographic. Yeah. We'll do koozies. That'll be the first thing we'll do, and the only thing we'll do. No. Uh, so if you're listening to this, just Venmo all of us all your money because you love us and then we'll we'll distribute it because we're we're marxists so we share uh we're creatives yes. but anyways uh, thanks for Sharing coming Willie. no i'm secretly embezzling the whole 20 cents that we've made on the download that's just being honest there but anyways thanks One for brain. coming back Covell. um we've, <laughs> we're even talking about other stuff now like hunger games we're bringing up is a possibility of yeah. uh, fury road you mentioned which we'll get into in this film because there's a lot of similarities between death race 2000 and Mad Max Fury Road. And uh, before, though, we get into the film, right, let's do our quick box office context, right? Let's set the scene real quick. And so we all have up the 1975 box office uh, rankings, right, from, from top to bottom. And because we've covered 1975 before with Covell, we did Rollerball together. That was the last podcast he joined us for after our first podcast together for anyone who wants to go back and kind of hear this whole series. It was, what was the Juggers movie called? The Blood of Heroes. Of the Heroes. Heroes. Of Heroes. Yes, yes. I always watch that. I always forget the article or like the Heroes of Blood. I always like invert the, the title of that film, but kick-ass film. We loved oh, yeah. it. Rucker Hauer. We yes. had a blast talking about it. Um, but yeah, so we have our 1975 box office kicks ass, as Covell just said off air. It's just filled with winners. And my question to both of you is you have two tickets. I don't know the price, but you have two tickets. It's Friday and Saturday. You're going to the theaters. What are you going to see? And let's start with our guest, Covell. What are you going to see on this epic, epic list? If I was with my kids, it would probably be it would probably be Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But Fair yeah, enough. this is an epic list. And we're talking our film, Death Race 2000, that we're focusing on tonight. It isn't even on this list, first of all. But I just want to mention, it didn't, <laughs> it didn't make the top 34 or anything close. But uh, I'd say I would see, I changed my mind, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest, and I would see Stepford Wives. Oh, I'm really curious now. Sell us on the Stepford Wives. I've actually never seen that. I'm believing it's like Pleasantville-esque, right? I know kind of Twilight Zone-y. Yes. But- yeah, it's Twilight Zone, Pleasantville, yeah, kind of thing. It's uh, Irvin Levin who wrote Rosemary's Baby wrote this wrote this on uh, I forget who wrote the screenplay and there's a new version too. But the old version is much like the the novel. It's very dark and of course it's sort of a spoiler alert here. But it's a it's kind of like a icon now anyway. So I'm only I'm spoiling it for you a little bit, but it is an icon. So you know, women are like these perfect little housewives. 
and in this town in Connecticut. And um, a new woman moves in, played by Catherine Ross, who's who's unbelievable in this. And she discovers this plot because they're acting, the women are acting so weird. They're acting like they're out of a 50s or 60s, you know, laundry machine commercial or something. And they and, and she finds out that the men are turning the women into robots. And so then, you know, then it comes to suspense part. She tries to do something about that. But very, very creepy. And as a sort of um, Handmaid's Tale feel about it, yeah, you know, total like, sort of feminist expose of how horrible men can be if given the chance. And like a totalitarian. As we see with the drivers yeah. in our film, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Some of those women drivers in this film are pretty bad themselves. I mean, yes, it's it's true. I like it. definitely equal out later, They're some of my favorite characters, I'll be honest. But it, we'll definitely stay on for our discussion on, on Death Race 2000. Paul, do you want to tell us your two, though, for, for this one, for this year, uh, 1975? What would you have seen in theaters given two tickets? Sure, why not? First, I'll touch upon uh, Separate Wives a bit, too. I just wanted to ask Covell real quick. Have you seen the Black Mirror episode with Bryce Dallas Howard where she's like, it's like a almost a China-esque well, I feel like it's like China because they now have these like social ratings that determine like if you can buy a house or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Have you have you seen that one? It's called The Most Oddly Beautiful, I think. No, I don't think uh, I I don't remember that one. I'm going to write that down, though. Thanks for yeah. mentioning it. So that that reminded me a lot of The Separate Wives. I saw the remake, I believe, when I was young. Uh, isn't Nicole Kidman in the original? The, sorry. Yeah the, set, remake. The, yeah, the remake is horrible. And. And it also, it makes the the mistake that you absolutely can't make in science fiction. It makes no sense. It's scientifically, physiologically, they they just like, they didn't give a shit. They just went overboard. They didn't care. So that, that to any science fiction person is a real, is just the biggest travesty and it ruins the whole thing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. There's also yeah. a really interesting dynamic, I feel like, with 1975 films and remakes, either being so off the rails <laughs> that they're good, like Rollerball, or just like yeah. terrible, I guess, like Separate Wives. I mean, I read a lot of people really enjoy, we'll get in this later too, probably, but Death Race 2000's remake a lot more. Um, a few of my friends oh, yeah. on Letterboxd were saying that uh, they usually never say this, but they think the remake is a far superior film. Um, I haven't seen it yet. I didn't even, I only knew of the original. Statum in it, right? Jason Sam's in that one, if I recall. I believe so. Yeah. So yeah, I do remember seeing that one. It is pretty cool. So, so what are your, your two films? Though? Yeah, I got to get on my two films. I got to stop digressing. <laughs> uh, th- this list is so, so hard. It's, uh, I mean, amazing list. I would start with Barry Lyndon. I mean, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. An epic in every way. Beautiful looking film. I mean, yes. just such a mythology behind the scenes on this film. Um, I watched it a few years ago for the first time and almost immediately watched it twice. So definitely would see um, Barry Lyndon first. And my second is really tough. There's a few like I love. I love Dog Day Afternoon, just a great drama, Al Pacino. Yeah. Um, but Agreed. not quite good enough. Like I love that summer New York City summer vibe. Very suspenseful and and intense. And his performance is, is uh, well, he was up for the Oscar too. But, I mean, Jack Nicholson was so amazing in One for All the Cuckoo's Nest. Mm. It was just hard to beat his performance and the writing but yeah what's the second second okay, film my second film would probably be alice doesn't live here anymore it's one of scorsese's okay. anomalies it's really intriguing film in scorsese's ovar but i i would just see it for that reason to see on the big screen uh it's yeah it's a quiet you know character study yeah. of a female character yeah um so yeah I'm, I'm gonna take the like esoteric route and pick those two i know those aren't the fan favorites right 
Mm. I mean, I hope Jordan <laughs> goes after the real fan favorite here because oh, I think we haven't even mentioned yet. So I'm just going to pass it to you right now. Um, yeah, what would you see? I was definitely worried you guys would take that one. But yeah, I'm definitely going to go with Jaws for sure. Got to go with Jaws. Right. One of my favorite right. Spielberg movies. One of my favorite. Every time I go to Universal Studios, I got to get on the tram and see Jaws. My favorite <laughs> part of the tram ride. <laughs> like, I, mean, like, I would love to have been in, like, in the theaters seeing that movie when it first came out and just being scared yes. with everyone else. Yeah, I'm pretty I mean, sure it's I the did. movie that made me scared to learn how to swim as a child. Right. <laughs> so I mean, I, I got to see that one in theaters with the full sound and everything. <laughs> Definitely Jaws. Yes. I would have said initially like rollerball just because we from our last discussion and watching it, that would have been probably a cool one to be like with people at too. Yeah. But now I'm looking yeah. at this list and like we had talked about this when we read like, this list tells us, you know, what the gross amount is and like tickets sold. And coming at number 34 is Rocky Horror Picture Show, which I've mentioned before, like is one I think I would have wanted to see or we've talked about it. it's come up a couple times on our podcast for this year. But I didn't know it only made $21,245 that year is what's gross. It's only selling like 10,000 tickets. So I feel obligated to have to contribute to that and <laughs> give them like just that one more ticket yeah. sell that year. Um, it would have been cool to be, be see what it was. I probably would have, I probably honestly wouldn't have liked it because it's a cult film now. I do like it now because there's so much behind it and the way it was introduced to me. But it would have been interesting to be there opening night, like we say. But I, I think I'm going to go with Rocky Horror Picture Show and Jaws would be my two choices. And knowing maybe, what you know now, you could have maybe gone there to Rocky Hard started throwing stuff at the screen and everything and really getting the whole been known as the person that got that whole audience performance uh-huh. element to the to the future you know uh iconography of a Rocky Horror picture show right oh, yeah and right definitely the whole cultural experience it's like early versions of what we call now cosplayers now right <laughs> like, that's what they got yes. going back there right it was like a whole experience that's <laughs> my understanding of it like you said everyone go in and drag yeah. and pick and dress up as your character to go watch these movies um awesome. right uh, i think yeah. i've been the creepy like um butler dude for i don't know i forget the character's name but the creepy butler dude with like the long gray hair and like yeah yes. that's the character i dress up as yeah i was gonna say uh, just to echo what you you've been saying these are like masterpieces uh, mm-hmm. in various genres you know with rocky Horror picture show i mean it's like the greatest uh, you know greatest one way to put it like i like to put it is a burlesque gothic horror ever made because it's gothic it's the frankenstein story but it's it's funny mm-hmm. you know and it's singing you're singing and dancing and now it's very postmodern with people joining in the film and so forth yeah. but um you know you know that and uh what's yeah, that one johnny depp with the barber plays the oh, sweeney todd. todd yeah there's another burlesque masterpiece but this year with i mean jaws is is an amazing film cuckoo's nest the kubrick film you know scorsese's film Snow White, for that matter, and, and its day. I mean, it's this has got to be one of the best years uh, uh, for, for great films. Yeah. No, I love that you bring that up because we're always talking about great years, right? And we did Karate Kid recently, and 1984 is another yeah. one of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. 1999 is a famous one we always talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. But yeah, no, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. 1975 is another one that needs to enter, like, the at least the conversation, right, yeah. about all-time yeah. great years. I love that conversation, too. Yeah. Because, like... <laughs> You could really come after a while relativistic. There's very few years that don't kind of kill it if you love movies, right? Because there's like, yes, you know, you're always going to find gems. Be like, oh wow, that was out that year. Yeah, but, but still, this is a this is a really well-rounded year, I think. Right? I mean, we started off with Snow White. And we ended up with the Rocky Horror <laughs> Picture Show. I mean, very yes. well-rounded. And look at the money that, uh, you know, um, Jaws made and One for the Cuckoo's Nest. 
uh, Shampoo was was a really well liked, you know, yeah. heralded film. Three Days of the Condor. I saw that in the theater. I saw a lot of these. This was a great year for me because I went to the theater to see these. I was old enough. And Three Days of the Condors. Uh, I forget the author's name. Great novel, but Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway, and they were they're both so hot, and they both were great in this film. You know, it's very suspenseful espionage. Film. Yeah, the perfect 70s paranoid spy another, thriller. Yeah. Return of the Pink Panther. I love that. Everybody loved that Pink okay. Panther, you know. Yeah, and the yeah. 70s one is fun. I love the 70s Pink Panther. I've seen it a few times. Um, yeah. My dad always yes. had that one running. Yeah, I mean, a great Here. box office. Yes. And what's so weird is I can't find anywhere. Like we couldn't find it in a box office mojo. Um, I, I went to uh, some other places. Yeah. The actual box office numbers for Death Race 2000. And I don't see anywhere that it was direct to video, but I almost feel like it is because the only thing on its wiki page in terms of box office is that according to Variety, it earned 4.8 million in rentals in the United uh, States. No oh. information. Um, it went right to rental, I guess. But then there's like a release date, so maybe that's its rental release date. It could be a straight to oh, rental film. Though. That's because yeah. he he was a B film. The B films were often just released to, I think, you know, pretty sure just released to like Blockbuster or whatever. You know, that would make sense. Places. Yeah. When was Blockbuster originated? Like, was it around in the? So I'm just curious. And yeah. I don't think so. No. Okay. But there, but there was. Uh, when was VHS awesome. cassettes like invented? When? No, we got to get. Uh, we got to hook up on the uh, on the Google search. I have box office five to eight million. I have that too in that corner, which I don't get the difference. Um, yeah, I mean that was so from. You uh, must be right. It went directly to rental or something, and they don't list it under the movie grosses of uh, theater. Gross, you have to sell tickets. Yeah, you, tickets yeah. sold. It's a bit bit odd, but 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 let's put it in perspective real quick too of its budget. Only three hundred thousand to five hundred thirty thousand. There's it's a kind of loose end. I mean that's under half a million. So they made this film for nothing, and I'm glad that I saw that right now. Be, <laughs> Can you be, imagine? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because that's probably one of its most endearing aspects is you can tell they they're making this yes. movie for very little. But like, they had they spent all the money on. David Carradine and Sylvester Stallone. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> good talent. The, the acting was pretty damn good. Dude, Stallone was good in it, for sure. Stallone, yeah, Stallone I mean, slayed in this one. Yeah, it wasn't Carradine's <laughs> best. But anyway... Yeah. Um, I, I thought Stallone was hilariously bad. We'll have fun with that. I thought he yes. was like, oh, talk about that for sure. one of the all-time worst performances I've ever <laughs> seen, but fun. Like, and, you, and then what happens to him next? Uh, n- no, what happens next? Like Rocky. In terms... Oh. oh, okay, okay. Rocky's oh, after this, and this he, is pre-Rocky. Yes, and so and of course he blew up in Rocky and you know Oscar and everything, mm-hmm. but it he you know he had to do shit like this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's still, he was pretty. Yeah, he's pretty bad. He wasn't a name then, but David Carradine was. Yeah, yeah. He's the only one. And there's something to be said that he's so bad. It's a great performance. It's like an all-time cult performance too. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's amazing. Yes. It fits right with the film, yes. but like, I'm just like, this yes. is hilariously bad. Like every line is just so yeah. over the top. The scene where he's um, like, his fingers are dipped in the cream and it's all over his mouth and oh, uh, every oh line. God. It's so, it's so hilarious. Well, you yeah. know, it, it has, a, it's very popular. I mean, it's got great ratings now. It's a cult <laughs> film. It, it definitely is. It is. Well, it's always on the tip of my tongue, like on my radar. It was always on my radar. Like yeah. I, I never seen this film until today. 
it was always on my radar. It's not one of those that like kind of went under like, you know, the blood of heroes, right? I hadn't heard of that until we started this podcast. Whereas this was like something that was always echoed, (laughs) you know, it's out there. Like, you know, about this film, Uh, you've seen the cover. Jordan, can you imagine what it'd be like to be in the theater watching Jaws? Oh, Jaws, man. I would have been terrified. I'll be honest. Yeah, people were screaming. The wind, you know, fainting, passing out. Yeah, I felt I was going to compare it to like yeah. I remember the not saying they're comparable movies, but people when the Blair Witch came out, the Blair Witch Project, yes. were like throwing up in the theaters, partially because of the camera, but they were scared so much from the hype yes. of the movie. I think that they were running out. And I remember you actually see it when you go watch other movies, like grown people like yes. leaving the theaters. Um, <laughs> imagine being yes. like that, like that level of like terror and like hype, you know, like the, yes. just like good horror movie, like. You want to be scared. And I probably would have been a winner. Exactly. Yeah, it was like I was telling you with Rollerball the same year when last time we all went to see it, our, our company, our guys, you know, and, and people were standing up and yelling, you know, at the film and get up, you know, and just awesome. like rooting on, um, on what's his name, you know, <laughs> James Conn. Huh. I was like, I've never seen a film like that, even though the horror ones were, I don't know, people are screaming. But but getting up and yelling at the at the screen, <laughs> oh, God. That's, it's that's hilarious. The I think the only the one I've seen, not like well, I guess horror actually would be was the one with Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez that duel one we saw. Yeah, Grindhouse. Grindhouse. Yeah, that oh, one Grindhouse. had people going nuts for the trailers, where people were just like shouting and like giving the trailer, the fake trailers for like Machete and really? like, Nazi werewolves from Mars or whatever. Like just the, oh. they're giving those like standing ovations. It was like a four hour just fun like. That was a great time watching that wow. live. Sounds cool. Yeah, I'll jump into this conversation <laughs> too. I got to see a film called Bahubali 2. Literally, I think it stands to this day as the biggest or second biggest grossing film in India's box office history. Um, really? And it's also a film that had two famous actors, I believe, I might be mistaken here, from two different industries. So they have like two different Hollywoods that are kind of rivaling their different languages, mm-hmm. different studios almost different box offices, like a whole different culture. And they kind of like rival each other. So it was this big crossover event. Yeah. But it's also just spectacular. Like they had to come out in American cinema that summer too. And it made decent money here. And everyone was blown away. I saw Roger Ebert. I think it's Matt Zoller Seitz. He's a great reviewer. He gave it four out of four (laughs) and saw it on there. But I saw it in a small wooden uh, seated bench theater um, it was awkwardly worded but like the seats were wooden benches and i saw it in uh, rishikesh this small little mountain town in india <laughs> along the ganga river and on a sunday like at 3 p.m no english subtitles for 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 me and my wife we went with our our yogi oh, no. kind of guru he, he took us on his motorbike because his wife got sick last second and oh. so he had an uh, extra ticket and then we just bought one more <laughs> uh-huh. and so we go in this theater. We don't know a thing of the thing, but the whole movie, the, the crowd just on their feet every five minutes, throwing popcorn, jeering, screaming, hollering, <laughs> banging really? the seats. Unreal. It was amazing. Wow. It was like being at a, like a worldwide wrestling match or something. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> enthralling. It was an, an event like no other. I remember it's a three hour film. And so we're not, we weren't so attuned to like Bollywood culture. We didn't know this. And it hits okay. the intermission, hour and a half mark. We're exhausted. I mean, it was a blast, but we're exhausted. We go out into the lobby <laughs> and our friend yeah. Deepin's like, oh, just 
10 minutes, we'll go back in. <laughs> we didn't realize we had another hour and a half of this. <laughs> um, so, so, so to end my, my rant short though, or my uh, digression short, Matthew Stroh, our last guest, first alone film, right? For Cliffhanger, just saw it and just like went on a Twitter, like loved it. Um, just tweeted about it. So it's funny. So people are seeing that. I do recommend it to anyone. Bahubali. What two. is it? Yeah. B-A-H-U-U-B-U-L-I. Bahubali. I might be botching okay. the pronunciation. That's how in my head I've always seen it. Okay. Um, but a blast. I don't know where to find it, but I think it's actually kind of available. I mean, it's a huge hit. It's like okay. their Titanic or something. It's a monster. <laughs> we didn't know that at the time either. Nice. Yeah. But well, yeah, that was my hopefully crazy it has thing. subtitles now. Yeah. yeah. And I, I kind of want to watch it again with subtitles, but it's got like, yeah, Jordan, you'd love it too. Like action sequences, like where they're like riding elephants and shooting arrows and doing backflips. And it's just, it's bananas. Man. It's totally bananas. It's kind of like they're crouching tiger too. Like dragon. Like, oh, a wait bit. a minute. Yeah. It's like a huge attack. There's a whole evil, like a uh, horde that attacks the uh, good guys uh, kingdom. I believe huge scenes, huge spectacle. Oh, yeah, I saw, I saw that, uh, that scene. Oh, cool. They yeah. had it on YouTube. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I'm sure. Oh, That's man. probably it. Yeah. And it just came out. At least if it's the same film, that was when I was in I... India, so 2017 or so. So okay, yeah, pretty new. Pretty new, yeah. yeah. I mean, relative, in my <laughs> everything's blending together. Last five years, so it like feels like yeah. yesterday, but it's not. Anyways, Covell, you, I know we know you saw Rollerball yeah. and we had that great experience. Did you see? Of course, this is a dumb question. I already answered it. When did you first then see Death Race two thousand? Because you couldn't have seen it in theater. It didn't even come out. No, either. I don't know. I don't think know. it was. La- I think it was last night. <laughs> oh wow, your very very first time. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, with us. I, I'm like a. Um, I know I've seen other Roger Corman films. I don't generally do B films. Until I join you guys, <laughs> Love it. they're pretty damn good. Uh, although I have to say, I, I was um, enjoyed the whole thing, and some of the kill killings were actually pretty entertaining. You know, um, as as lame as they were in some ways, they were entertaining. They were. But, um, the thing that stuck out with me the most was the woman, the navigator, uh, Simone Griffith. And I thought she was just simply gorgeous. Yes. And just, just totally hot, you know, and was was nude on occasion. All which the was, female which stars in this movie were hot. Just got to give you a caveat there. All <laughs> the women in this movie were gorgeous. I think that's a theme we just got to keep going yes. out in the 70s. They just, all the women they cast were just gorgeous. They're on the covers of all the films half naked back then and uh, true to know? be movie lore and, and yeah you know sensibility you're gonna have at least two to three to four gratuitous nude scenes right and yeah this yes. one definitely delivers on that yeah too. and it, and the, the fun though is how gratuitous it is i love that like you know everyone's lying on the massage table so they're like flirting yes. with the nudity right uh-huh. and then they end up with yes. a cat fight right they have to end <laughs> up with a cat fight and it that's yeah. written so we can get the like the reveal. Right? And there's some there's hunky guys half nude uh-huh. too, but it's mostly the women. Again, David Carradine, and which is typical Hollywood. The guy doesn't really have man I have rock have a rocking body at all, like he did. Although I I think when he did Kung Fu, David Carradine, which was my favorite show. Okay, I'm thinking of going back and watching it. So I'm sure it's not the same, but it was such a brilliant show where he played, you know, uh, a white uh, Buddhist monk mm-hmm. who had sort of been raised over in China, I believe. And then, and that, but he was, he was white over there, but he's still raised in a monastery by these wonderful uh, Asian, Asian actors, yeah. you know, who are the other monks. And they, 
and he also is a Shaolin monk, I think. He mm. could kick total ass with a staff and other martial arts. And he was just the mellowest guy, sort of like a really mellow John Lennon, you know, or George Harrison, strolling through the American West, helping everybody out, like a Billy Jack character, you know, helping Native American kids and Hispanic kids and so forth. Mm-hmm. And then having to kick some serious ass. Yeah. And then we go back to China where he's getting a little lesson, grasshopper, you know, <laughs> and see the, his, the boyhood version. And he was, he was terrific in that. I don't think he had to do much. I mean, except sort of fight and be really mellow, mm-hmm. you know, he didn't, there wasn't any great acting performances, but he's just, he's good at this, these somber, wry, W-R-Y, yeah. mm-hmm. cynical mm-hmm. Uh, characters. Like yeah. we saw with Frankenstein in Death Race 2000, I think. Yeah, he's got that mythic persona that, I mean, I've never seen. Um, what's the name of the TV show again you just referenced? Kung Fu. Yeah, never yeah. seen it. Yeah. But I know all about it, even though I bought and forgot the name right there, because of Tarantino, right? Because yeah. I used to read yes. constantly about Kill Bill. Yes, Because Kill I loved Bill. his role, in, of course, as Bill. In one and two. Yes. Yeah. Some of my all-time favorite scenes as a teenager, especially like Kill Bill 2. The scene where he's yeah. cutting the apples and like whatever and just giving his long speech about, you know, he goes on this long diatribe about Superman's mythology. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I yes. love it. And he's so That's perfect. That's great. Um, that may be the be- his best scene ever. Easily. Yeah. In anything. Yeah. He's more well known for uh, Kill Bill. Yeah. Now. Yeah. No. But for my generation, you know, so forth, we remember this blessed hippie TV show, you know, where they kicked ass. Yeah, one of a kind. Absolutely. I mean, I believe it. I mean, Tarantino loves like the 70s TV shows, right? Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is very much an homage Uh to all those. That's what Leo is playing. (laughs) Leo is playing one of the stuff. There you go. (laughs) Cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers, by the way. You you too. I wish I had a drink. I don't have one. But uh, you already brought up the desk. Make sure you do next time. Yeah, you know how to prepare for these podcasts, Paul. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) He's too busy working on his poor computer. Yeah. yeah, I missed the prep, missed the prep call. <laughs> what, what are some of your favorite kills, Jordan? Or it, oh, yeah. you, but like... we got to go to the kills. We'll go to the kills or do you want to talk the about movie? the bodies or kills first? Because you did bring up Stallone and Carradine's bodies. I just got we got to talk about that. Because I mean, Stallone's the king of bodies now. He's He's got of all the action heroes. He's the only one who's got more muscles now at like yes. approaching 80 than he did back then <laughs> in the 80s and 90s. So, I mean, when you see him and David Carradine fight, it's like there's a there's a weird irony to it now. With Darren Carradine just rocking like the dad body and the gimp outfit, like I mean, yes, the gimp it's, outfit. It's a reversal of a fortune now, you know. So like, I was loving that, that scene. <laughs> you know, you're trading punches and they're pulling the punches terribly. Uh, it's got the bad blood. I love that fight scene. It's, and then, like I said, it goes into territory with uh with Sloan just horrible character both acting and just the personality of yes. character is just like the worst type of misogyny imaginable but like he's the perfect one for it i mean we've got to give the name machine gun joe i love the names of these characters machine yes. Gun Joe. he could have been the tony serrano the, the sopranos meet um you know meet death race 2000 you know like yeah. the, the brooklyn italian mobs the guy yeah. driving the truck you know but it's just my car i gotta go get him <laughs> run him down you know i love it like yeah. it, he's so over the top and just like plays that stereotype so heavily and his oh his sidekick too um, his his navigator is like, you know, the predecessor of Harley Quinn to like the Joker with that classic annoying voice with the high pitched voice. And come on, come on, sugar, you got to go the right and the left. He's always going to go, you know, whatever she doesn't want to do. Uh, their dynamic throughout the entire movie was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. Yeah. And just the way it builds Great. up with the uh, antagonism, the inta- like the intensity between Frankenstein and Machine Gun Joe. 
perfect for this race. You got to have it. It reminds me yes. of a cartoon too, just as a, just as a cartoon fan, the classic, you know, Saturday morning races or whatnot with the different cartoon characters. But yeah, I mean, I was going to say, but with the body thing, I just, I, I love looking at it. Yeah. Like, yeah, I, I wish I, I wish I was in the seventies because my body was, I could have been in Hollywood or something like that. I got, I got a David Carradine body. <laughs> now you need the Stallone body. Even when you, even right. when you reach, you know, past age 50, you got to still have that Stallone body. So I just found that interesting when you yes. come into this as, you know, my age, as you know, knowing Stallone as, you know, as such the, you know, the heavy hitter that he is, it's great seeing him in these roles like this. And like, it's fun seeing him, you know, act and just be like an over actor in this way. Cause he's much more of a, yes. This time, you know, the stoicism is really what he's known for. And then we yeah. like, we've seen as we go through his movies, there's a lot of layers to Stallone in his roles. Uh, but this is what I think like people got to see just to like, kind of flesh it out. It goes, um, goes well with what's the other one we covered with Stallone Paul with this uh, soccer internment camp. Oh yeah, uh, right that was an amazing one. Victory or Escape to Victory, depending yeah, on. Escape to, yeah, we could have two different names. But yeah, that's another one along with that one. If you catch that podcast for anyone listening, this is a great companion piece with that one as well. Um, mm-hmm. Along with, as we said, Bloody Heroes and Rollerball, all these sorts of plotic, sports movies, they'd all mesh pretty well. Yeah, yeah, they all go together. I love that you brought up that fight scene with Stallone and Carradine because at the end, Stallone means all bloodied up and beat up, and then he yells like, "Next time, I'm gonna get you." It wasn't a fair fight or something along the lines of that. And I was just like, how is it not a fair fight? It was literally fist to fist. Did I miss something there? He never learns. It's like, the, that's what I mean. He, he no. doesn't break character. His character just never learns. He's that much of a, like a Neanderthal. You know what I mean? Like in yes. his mind, like choking a woman before and then, you know, getting your ass kicked after. He's like, I was at a disadvantage. I was busy choking this bitch and he came at me, you know, that's his <laughs> thing right there. That's why he's saying it pretty much. Like, it's like, yeah. it goes so well with like the misogyny of like a machine gun jokes. He's terrible, right? Like yes. he punches his navigator. And, he's, and it's so right. over the top and bad, but like it really works well with like, you're not rooting for Sloan, but you want him to get it at the end of the movie. Um, and right. you know he's going to get him when you get there. You're like, all right. Uh, so I, I, I like it. I like his presence in this one. It's so ironic, though. You know, he just kills it as Rocky in Rocky, which he he wrote also. Yeah. But yeah. he's the he kills it as a fighter and also as a person. Unlike this guy, they take the same kind of accent over the top. You know, he let, they let him do sliced alone, man. You know, and he, and he really goes with it. But he's a cool, you know, he's a guy, you know, you really worship because he's like, he comes from nowhere in Rocky and he faces unconquerable obstacles and kicks butt. And so he's the exact opposite in this film. By the way, um, very quickly, um, I worked in the entertainment business a little bit for a few years at a business and we did PA services, craft services on catering because I could cook and my buddies could cook, but we worked on Wheel of Fortune, by the way. (laughs) Right. So we'd go to NBC and and then, you know, there's Vanna White, et cetera, et cetera. And other people show up and, you know, and you guys know this about him and about a lot of these macho stars are just cool male actors, but Stallone is small. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, he's built like a, you know, brick shit house. So, you know, <laughs> and he looks really creepy now, by the way, like something <laughs> happened. <laughs> he got fucked up bad somehow his face, but well, he's getting old. Right. But back then, yeah, he was, you know, built great, but he was only like five, eight or five, nine, yeah. you know, just kind of blows your mind to be like towering over this guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was six feet at the time, but he was, he was cool on set. It was, it was a positive thing. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I think about good things about Sloan. Just because like in our side. So I had I used to have a roommate. Yeah, he's a good we did guy. Sloan's uh living room 
Uh, he did like he's in the, pl the plastering, all that stuff. He did his like redesigns later. He said he was just like the coolest, one of the coolest clients he ever had. Down to earth dude, cracking, nice. you know, cracking jokes, passing down wisdom. I yeah, that, you know, you don't I really bet. hear that very often about no. stories of people working with celebrities. But yeah, I've no, you don't. heard great things about him though. Yeah, it's a good guy. He made it big too. Then it came Rambo. Oh yeah. <laughs> Jesus and Rambo just people loved Rambo. I don't, but you know, first blood and then Rambo like, and all that. Huge <laughs> franchises. They oh, were yeah. all about him with, yeah. with Rocky, with they did what six, five or six, and Rambo. I have no idea. Three, four. Three or four, I think, for Rambo. Didn't come back as a really old they Rambo. Came back and, yeah, they made that old one where he's still like just fucking dudes up in that old one. The new one was just as good as the old one, man. Like, yeah, like, like I said, his muscles he, are even bigger. He's <laughs> bigger. <laughs> he's bigger. There's more blood. There's more bullets. I was like, that was one I should have seen in theaters. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah, maybe so. Yeah. <laughs> the thing about Stallone in this film for me, though, is like all of his exaggerated <sighs> mannerisms and like facial features that yeah. make him so famous, yeah. right? He's got kind of like the droopy eyes um, that like in Rocky, right? His droopy eyes give him like this sort of proletarian soul, right? Yeah. It's like the boxer. His eyes are perfect for him being a boxer. Yeah. He has the perfect, uh, yeah. like, you know, the damage and the, the look of drain. Sorry, cut you off. No worries. No Proletarian worries. Like, soul. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's totally Stallone, right? Um, but here it gives him more just like dumb brute vibe. Uh, same with his like kind of yeah. like lazy lip, <laughs> if that's a thing, right? It's kind of like... Yeah. Uh, they're all, you know, so exaggerated and they work so yes. well as a archetypal dumb side character, right? He works well. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a small role that he's playing, even though he's the main bad guy, right? I mean, yeah, the screenplay to me too is just hilariously childish in, in kind of a good way. I think that's also one of its more charming aspects is like the bad guy's name is what? Like Thomas Sena Payne, like obviously like a riff on Founding Fathers. Yes. It starts off with ridiculous references or allusions like the days of Spartacus and ends with this bizarre historical documentation about like primates being the first murders before man could become a thinking man. I don't know if he's stayed in the credits. They brought that up in the credits. They had this yeah, long, okay. ridiculous voiceover that gave like the history of um, violence. Yeah. So they bookend it with this like really cheaply written kind of historical context to try to give it gravitas that it doesn't have and then they're just like <laughs> like i said they just overload this yeah. movie with like dumb kills illogical race sequences they never set up the scoring i mean we get the scoring right we get the yeah. funny and ridiculous like breakdown of like Old men for the most anyone who's over like a senior citizen i think was like about 100 points if i remember right yeah yeah, yeah they were the most here. women are worth 10 points teenagers 40 Community college English teacher seven thousand. Not <laughs> yeah. that sounds about fair. That's uh, fair. Retired ones even more. Anyone over seventy five, hundred points. Yeah. Which, by the way, this is the most iconic thing out of this film. I think this whole points mm -hmm. system, because maybe everybody didn't see the film, but this has got around. I mean, even now, now and forever. Like how many? Oh, ten points. You see, all. I mean, yeah. been with people really, you know. Fucked up guys are driving. Oh, you don't see a granny. It's 50 points, man. And you're like, oh, oh, oh. you know, <laughs> that's where it came from, right? It yeah. came from this film, point system. <laughs> I, I wonder Found if it. it came from this film, though, or if this uh, film was just yeah. aping the colloquialisms of the day. It feels like a film that would be yes. like aping that bro humor that's like natural, right? You're driving down yeah. the street. Bro humor. Uh, Maybe yeah. so. Maybe but but so. but I love it. It is so iconic. And I the scene where he has like all the euthanasia patients lined up on the street and he goes after the smug doctors and nurses. The doctors. And they get hit and they leap. That's so funny. That was one of my favorite 
jokes that was a very uh, funny that yes. was a good one that was yeah. a good kill the one where he takes out the um like announcer dude or the race head guy or whatever and just kind of goes in a full circle and like just dummies him that one was a good yes. i like the clever kills the one where stallone takes out his own pit crew was great because he just has so much anger he's like you guys suck he just kills him at the end yeah yeah they're talking i gotta say the bullfighter i like the bullfighter yeah. dancing with um calamity jane's car and just getting gored that was a really good that was another good one that's yeah. just so off the wall. <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of like Dawn of the Dead. George A. Romero's like Dawn of the Dead, though, like seven, yeah. like 77 version or something like that. Especially like the color of the blood, the popping heads. I, I had so much fun with it. I just watched Northman before this. And Northman was cool, but like it wasn't like gory enough for me in the sense of a. Oh, movie. is that right? But like, I mean, maybe it's just because I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones binging lately. <laughs> they got that pillaging stuff down. Yeah. But this was cool because it's so it understood like the off the wall violence, just like the poppiness of like just getting the blood out there. And, like I, I, I loved how wacky it was. Like they have them, you know, the guys getting like their crotch driven over in the car, and, and it's yes. like spilling blood. You know, it's so like you see where Tarantino kind of gets those like vibes now, just doing the over the top where like it can be violent and humorous too. Yeah, um, the camp laughing, or you're just like kind of cringing, and it, it does both sometimes with this. Like oh, laughing, like, cringing, real dark comedy. You know, you're cringing at the same time. You're going, like, you're up. laughing. You know, no, yeah. I mean, I wonder if it's budget restraints or just faux satiric, like dumb camp. Or a little bit of both. That's what I was wondering when I was watching it too. But like, you know, there's like the construction worker, he gets hit by the car and um, his his jeans are like literally splattered with red paint. It was so fake looking that I was like, oh, so he sees him up with the thumbs up. Or, you know, the guy's playing chicken. <laughs> that was probably my favorite kill is like the first one gets killed and then the, the other guys pop their head out of the uh, manhole, the sewer yeah. manhole, and then they get their head smashed. Yes. And they even, they have the famous gruesome, not famous, but it's like repeated in tons of movies of a head being splattered yeah to, <laughs> yeah. yeah i like the guy country. the fisherman the fisherman a, a fisherman running for his life and and he gets squished in the river and you just see like <laughs> mud come up and then blood yeah you know that's like, okay right. that was that was well done was yeah fun. i felt bad for the fisherman like yeah go up the yeah. side of the hell <laughs> you know, like, no, no, no. first he jumped in the water where they couldn't get to and then he decided he's gonna run yeah. into the clearing so that he could get hit yeah <laughs> did they try to turn that too because he was at the very end of this dead end ruse, right? He kind of, I'm talking about Stallone now, got tricked by Carradine's character to go, you know, 45 miles out of his way. And the fisherman's the one who tells him the bad news and then mistaking him for Frankenstein, which is why he gets killed, rightfully so. But my question is, like, yeah. did they ever even follow up on how Stallone, like, got out of that? Because supposedly that dead end was going to ruin his chances of the race altogether. Yeah. But they never follow up on, like, maybe because he was chasing the guy in the riverbed, he found another road or something. <laughs> Yeah, they don't explain that at all. They don't explain that. But oh, they, that's right. They took different routes from New York City, right? And they go through yeah. the Lincoln Tunnel and the next shot, they're obviously in California. It's a Mediterranean right. hillside. The topography <laughs> is not New York in any yeah. way, shape, no. or form. Yeah, I could look out the window and see one of the freeways they were driving on and that. I loved it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was so yeah. fun. <laughs> Dude, it's all in Cascade. It went from New York huh? to California. Yeah. It's like a, the time there's Cascade, there's there's a 14, there's Pasadena, there's uh, <laughs> the Holland Drive was in there. Was it Canyon? Yeah. When you're going to like Zuma and those tunnels were right in there. Like, yeah, it was, the four, it was like, that was like had a bla- that was had a blast on that road trip. They probably just packed like a bunch yes. of weed, a cooler, and were like, let's film. Like, you know, <laughs> let's just go get some B shots of, of Southern California. <laughs> like, I don't right. want to be on that. I want to be on that crew. Yeah, I love how the whole country is Southern California in this movie. So I got but- a good quote for it. Good summation. All right. This is one of those movies that is so bad, it's actually entertaining. 
right? Which I think sums up a lot of this, these kinds of films. But Definitely. cheap, cheesy, fiberglass cars, stupefyingly awful acting. David Carradine projects stoicism as if lobotomized, which <laughs> I don't agree with. I don't agree with that. But dialogue from the dregs of a high school play, an embarrassingly bad sex scene, which I actually kind of liked some of it, but uh, a ridiculous <laughs> attempt at social relevance, which backs up uh, what what you were saying, Paul. Um, and a cross-country trip that looks like it was filmed within a 10-square-mile area of the Malibu Hills. <laughs> right? exactly. Or, they know or Lancaster or something. <laughs> yeah. It's like a stew made with all the wrong ingredients, a disaster worthy of Ed Wood. Watching oh, it alone uh, would be an exercise in ma- machoism. But in company, boy, what a hoot. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was fun to watch it together. Okay. Um, the bit where the car plows its way. I think this guy's British because he <laughs> yeah. says the bit. Uh, the bit. That's a yeah. British system. The yeah. bit where the car plows its way through a gaggle of people hidden behind a hedge or whatever, and they go flying in the air like a, a 1920s Hal Roach comedy. I'm not familiar with that reference. It is priceless, right? If you need a laugh, you could do worse than this Drek. He really cuts it down a lot, you know, but at the yeah. same time, he obviously enjoyed it. Yeah. Amen to that, too. That's yeah, yeah. I, I like I like the style. I appreciate everything you said. That to be honest, and like you said, it's what's so bad about it for me it made this so fun to watch. It's mm-hmm. like watching like the Toxic Crusader. It's that much fun. Like you said, mm-hmm. it'd be a, like I agree, it'd be okay. a great group. You know, it'd be like, fun to see in theater. We're all together. I'm sorry, Jordan. I just because I was watching you enjoying yourself at your place, and we could all be doing that together. Right? <laughs> you know, like we just did like the live podcast or something like that. This would have been a cool one. Just have a lot of first timers and catch their reactions to it. Force them in a room yeah. to watch it kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> like this, some young, young folks. Maybe. This also seems like a movie that'd be great for Mystery Theater 3000 or whatever that oh, yeah. show's called. Yeah. yeah. Where you just like dub it yes. or, yeah, you just or on it. Yes. the commentary. Yeah. It's, it's rife for that. And there's uh, something to be said yeah. for films you could just make fun of while you're watching them. Yeah. Whether it's gothic or this stuff. That is really a fun, it's it's underrated, but to yeah. sit around and not take it all seriously, but just bullshit and laugh and crack jokes. It's it's a lot of fun, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And like, you know, when they try to bank in on it, I'm not trying to diss those movies like Snakes on a Plane, but they never yeah. hit like the ones that truly yeah. <laughs> are going for it. And they're made in earnest. And um, I'm still reading, Cavell, you'd actually like this. Our guest, the episode before the last, he came on for Cliffhanger, which was actually a good film, which we kept saying like, this is wrong, but he wrote a book just about this. Um, his name's Matthew Stroll, but his whole thing is like, you shouldn't nice. just mock the films, right? You have to enjoy the like passion that is put into it at the same time, right? I don't fully necessarily 100% agree with that. I think there's something to be said just like the mocking films. I think it's fun. Like, I don't think <laughs> yes, you have to is. be like mature <laughs> at all times. <laughs> But but no. I also like that this film does fit that template that he creates. I think that they obviously were making this movie in a silly, cheeky way, right? Obviously. Yes. Yes. But I also think they made it in earnest with their budget to be like a fun, good film. Like, I think they wanted to be a good action film with these smart, savvy sci-fi tropes. I think they wanted, you know, everything a B-movie wants, right? Like babes, bombs, big cars, <laughs> bombastic yeah. crashes. Babes, bombs, and big cars. Yeah. Like that. Explosions and crashes. Yeah, exactly. Babes. And there's a love of cinema in this, right? And there's like a a gumption to the filmmaking, you know, sort of resourcefulness. If you look at the price tag, right? I know that money's a lot more than it's today. So I don't know the equivalent of like $500,000 today. It's probably like what? I'm guessing 6 million, probably off, but- but it, you know, it's not it's not yeah. so cheap. We're, we have to contextualize, you know, inflation. But but still, it's this is a budget ass film. Yeah. <laughs> Despite Roger Corman producing it, I don't get how it well, is so budget to be honest. But um, yeah, there's fun here. There's fun to be had. It's a great time. I mean, 
I wish we could have seen it together. Maybe yes. we should set up a Discord group where you could do all sorts of stuff and watch films, at least remotely. I know it's not the same still, yeah. but you know, a viewing party of a film like this would be fine um, with a group. I wanted to mention something. Um, yeah. When I can, uh, looking at the, we've been talking so much about, at least in the times that, um, the, the couple of times, it's been nice enough to include me along on the journey here, looking at the, the blood of heroes. And then, and then uh, Rollerball, one of my favorites. But, you know, that science fiction, that post-apocalyptic vision that we read about and we see, and we've talked about that uh, a bit, and I'm always happy to talk more about that. But, you know, this is another subgenre, too, besides a post-apocalyptic dystopian, you know, sports <laughs> uh, um, sci-fi. It's that great race sensibility. Uh, and there was a film called Great Race. And I think for me, at least in, in thinking about this uh, the last five minutes, no, in the, the last couple of days, I'm thinking of Jules Verne around the world in 80 days hmm. is, where, is where we see an archetype really to this whole experience where um, it's not to be taken totally seriously. You know, either was Journey of the Sun of the Earth by Verne, but Around the World in Eight Days is more fun. It was this festive novel, and there, there's a woman, and they're having adventures, and they land here, and it's a race, you know. But they're, you know, they're against the clock and and fighting people, and all these wild things happen. And then you get to these movies in the '60s uh, that I saw as a kid, and I loved these films: uh, The Great Race with Tony Curtis, uh, Jack Lemmon, Natalie Wood, 1965. Those fabulous young men and their flying machines. It's a mad, 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 mad world, which is a road race when they find out there's a treasure that they can get in Florida and they all race to, to go get it, you know. But I mean, and then all sorts of crazy shit happens, right? Mm -hmm. Including in the great race, maybe the, the best scene. I mean, Natalie Wood's in it, but the best scene is giant pie throwing fight. And near the end, they're all just throwing these pies and having a glorious time, you know, throwing pies around you know, in the middle of a great race, right, to get to L.A. or wherever. And, OK, time to have a pie fight and splash each other with with whipped cream and all that. Right. And uh, so they would always they would have all this madcap stuff. They didn't have all these gothic killings and that's or the nudity. And that's, of course, where the, the genius in a way of, <laughs> of, of Corman, you know, I love the fact that you brought up this this race subgenre yes it uh piqued my my memory and i wasn't even thinking about any of these films explicitly but i feel like the whole movie i was subconsciously thinking about them is like rat race for example 2001 film i loved rat race as a kid i thought that movie was hilarious with Whoopi goldberg cuba gooding jr oh do you, do you remember that one yeah i vaguely remember oh, it but i have to race to get across the country to win some sort of like money if i remember right right some sort of yes it's about yeah, easy it's money greed Manipulation and bad that's, driving, right? That's Coon in the genre too, right? It's just that Death Race 2000 and some of these other films that do this are take place in the future, you know, yeah. or they have competitions. But there's, yes, yeah, de definitely that subgenre of this giant, I don't know, mobile action road races, you know, <laughs> across the country or the world or whatever, right? And, yeah. You know. Well, like, I, I got to give it credit because we we're talking about racing and like we tripped it earlier because this movie has this weird like pseudo kind of um like we said post-apocalyptic authoritarian worldscape if we will and like it's all yes. predicated on the idea of like the, the words they use that racing is just red-blooded american right <laughs> even in this weird america that is like 
you know, dystopian where the American flag is underground now and Thomasina Thomas is like trying to bring it back up, I guess, right? All that's like coded in there. But like the ethos is though that racing is like what makes America America. And even in the mm-hmm. end, when you get the guy killed, who objects, like he, like he says, America is what America because we race, right? And he gets killed off by uh, Frankenstein, our new president at the end. But it even goes back to like, I was thinking the film like Far and Away with Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. And it's all about, you know, Irish immigrants coming into the US and the race to put your stake down on a piece of property right in the in the new right. west and like that's right. a big climax is you know the horse racing to get the best property essentially and it's obviously a like you said it's a journey of you know beating everyone from ireland to here a bunch of shit happens along the way um and then you know that giant race at the end is, and it's a big part of like the american yeah. identity actually is i think the writers weirdly hit on that like yeah it's, it's built on like america is the idea of manifest destiny right you know the expansion of the yes. west and all that's just a part of our identity and I think they do a good job of projecting that into the future in this, particularly when we get the section of Nazis at the race who are there to who root for Swastika's sweetheart, Matilda the Hun, right? And I feel like they really hit it because like that's just, you can go to like anywhere in Trump country right now and probably find that. They might not have the swastikas open, but like, you know, you can find something similar yes. to that, I imagine, at, at your local like racing track today. So I, I do find that like fun and projecting again the idea of like racing as that inherent part the dark reality of america and all that it, it, it plays fun and it plays fun today as as again like racing is a huge sport now it's one of the biggest sports it's it's one that i need to get into more actually it's one that's starting to catch my eye just the way it's you know it's growing. didn't he uh didn't he also say that like america's built on violence too at one point yeah they talked about violence yeah like yeah, yeah. Not, outro know. for sure right how ironic i mean it's so true you know, the race is a metaphor or is this literal event with this sort of violence inherent of the crashes and what have you a little bit, you know, but otherwise it doesn't hurt anybody. Right. But the violence that they had death race 2000 and that line, I wish I wrote it down, but it was something, you know, fairly stereotypical about the, the importance of violence in America as being in the American way, something mm-hmm. like that. If yeah. you remember that, but I mean now, and of course you, today we had 18 children murdered in Texas. I mean, it wasn't racing, it was guns. Yeah. But, you know, if, if there ever was a phrase or the concept that is true, and it goes hand in hand with Manifest Destiny, too, like you're saying, like you're saying, Jordan, I mean, there was so much violence inflicted on everybody in those days to conquer America, so to speak, that it's inherent. The gun and the race and the violence and the intensity and the prejudice, it's like just becomes such a huge part of our, our fabric, you know? Yeah. And while we're talking about a sports podcast and we got to have that conversation because I'm, you brought that up. It completely passed my mind as we're having this talk. But we I mean, we're talking about sports and the way sports and reality contextualize how we deal with, you know, the reality of violence and tragedies. And unfortunately, like it's part of that progressive and cyclical approach, like it's playoff season. We'll see a national anthem probably tomorrow. Um, I didn't catch the game's early parts today. I imagine, I don't know if there's words yet, there might be a moment of silence. Like we usually get moments of prayers, right? Um, right. And that's the way we it deal with be. it now, right? In terms of like the sport and the um, the way it's attached to it and the way it kind of conceals and helps us quote unquote move on through it pretty quickly. Um, and it's just something to note as, you know, we talk about sports movies, but the reality and, is and the hockey, it, right after the national anthem, they go right into beating the shit out of each other. As we're playing, man, uh, Battle of Alberta is going on. I'm missing it. (laughs) And throughout the film, right, the violence is very much in the fabric of the the themes and the, the textures and the psyche, right? Yeah. I mean, and it's saying that it's saying that that's its meta context or subtext of yeah. the film, right? So like, you're definitely hitting on the 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 film on the head right here. Like in the you're you're getting to the point in the heart of this film. As silly and absurd and 
almost goofy as it is, like is trying to say some things. It's trying to be a satire of America and a subtle critique of America. And unfortunately, it's still very relevant today. We see how it permeates all different facets of our culture. I mean, it's really cool that you did point out the whole manifest destiny, right? Because they are traveling west, right? It's a westward expansion, just in a new way. Los Angeles, right? They call it New Los Angeles. Yeah, it's it's you know that's right. That's right. It's really Laguna Laguna Niguel. If I remember right, it's like the giant federal building they have there that they get to. That looks like that cool pyramid. Right, good one. That was very uh, Soviet looking though. That very ending where the president's up talking to like you know the cameras or whatever. That last sequence was very like Stalin. Mm-hmm. architecture but you're saying that was in laguna or is that a different spot the I kind of concrete building the part where he hits him are you talking about right he crashes into the president yeah 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 i believe that's in laguna if i remember but where they're going to race and the race ends i believe that's where that all happens with that kind of stacked brown building mm-hmm. yeah. yeah that's in it's in laguna anyways though i want to quickly we can go back to the movie i don't want to go to the ending to signal the ending of the conversation anyway but like the ending i thought was interesting in the sense that like it plays off a lot of the movies we've seen in the way that it it treats violence in the way that it kind of has a happy ending that I don't know what to think of it at all. Like I was wondering, (laughs) were they trying to satirize this shift of power or were they actually trying to endorse it as a positive shift of power? Right. Because you have Carradine saying like, he's going to get rid of minority privilege, this phrase they kept saying, which we can assume like, no, he's going to restore it because the first person or first president, he gives that speech in the beginning. I thought he said, Revoke minority privilege. I meaning, thought so too. I think minority uh, privilege is aristocracy. Yes, right? it's the rich. Okay, I just heard it. Yeah, they didn't use the term minority quite as we use it in '75. I don't believe so. Then we wouldn't say that now. I don't think, although it'd be even more ironic now. Yeah, they're pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, they mean the aristocracy. The you know whoever's okay, whoever's in control. The president who lives in China. (laughs) So they don't even care. I mean, it's not even it's like whatever. Just throw the shit out there. Like the guy said, drag. And yet it seems like a fantasy ending, just like a big suddenly this. Okay, I'm in charge of the world now and we're married. There's a wedding and you get the kingdom pretty much. Right. He's king. He's literally king of the world in the sense of the president. Right. Like you said, the president resides in China. Yes. Everywhere but France, I guess, in this one, because I don't like the French very much in this one. But like, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is very much like a like a classic like child, you know, fairy tale story. It ends in marriage. The hero gets rewarded, restores order, if you will, to the kingdom. Um, he finds a woman he finally loves. Yeah, this girl. <laughs> who betra- she was trying to betray him. She changed her mind, and he fell for her. It's a girl you can yeah. bring home to mom. She can navigate a yeah. car. She can bring down the monarchy. You know, like, yeah. like you said, he gets it all. Yeah. He's got the rocking bod and, and everything. Yeah. So I do think there might be a subversive wink though. I want to bring in my little thesis real quick, because I think this plays really interestingly uh, vis-a-vis with rollerball, because I think they're kind of the same yeah. themes and the same arcs of our main character where mm-hmm. in rollerball, right? You know, James Conn's character, right, in Rollerball. His name was Jonathan yes. E. Jonathan E. Jonathan yes. E, right. Yeah, basic Jonathan. name. <laughs> Very yes. basic, but kind of unforgettable. I can't believe it uh, that slipped my mind. Um, yeah, me too. But I loved actually his character arc in comparison to this, where, you know, he is willing to sacrifice it all. <laughs> this whole team, which we made fun of, right? Everyone dies for the sake of sport, right? For the sake of like this rawness, this authenticity, just something with like emotion, with legitimacy. And here we have almost the same arc, right? David Carradine's character, Frankenstein, supposedly doesn't, you know, give into the resistance, blah, blah, blah. 
for most of the film, right? Because he cares about the sport, right? It's like the last thing left. He has a, he yes. has a phrase somewhere in the film where he's like, this is the last thing left that's actually real, that I can actually compete in, that's not controlled by the government. And there's another line that says like- the, Winning the is government... the only standard of excellence left. Okay, right. that's that's exactly it. Yes, thank you for finding that. Yes. That's the quote. Um, And right. you know they bring up that the government controls how they eat, sleep, blah, blah, blah. It's just exposition. You don't really see it, but you yeah. it's like, okay, this is a sort of Orwellian totalitarian world. There's a propaganda machine we see where everything that happens from the resistance is as you noted attributed to the french which becomes almost a running gag and it's kind of funny <laughs> yeah, but, it is. but that's running a very gag. you know that's a very cheeky attack on propaganda uh, um and the use of propaganda yeah, that would be the chinese or something um, well no if you do that Russia. you're not gonna get your movie made it's not gonna come out anywhere you're like no man you gotta change that to something else that's but, right but here, right, Frankenstein is almost a traitor to the spirit of sport, right? He 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 mm. kind of gives up the sport. He, he turns on the sport after like being this longtime hero of the sport. And they almost do too many like unmaskings and remaskings that like you no longer know what, yes. what his history is. I thought he was best friends with the president. And then suddenly he has a hand with a grenade, like this fake grenade that's ridiculous. I don't want to get into the pun of the hand grenade, right? <laughs> But like, greatest, what are you talking about? That's the greatest pun ever. He has a hand grenade. I know. I love it. I love it. It's very like Austin Powers. It's like yeah. stitched in his hand or something. It's yeah. just, you know. How's that not been like an item in a video game yet? It's a hand grenade. Like, I want that in, in like or, or the next like Call in, of Duty. What's the grindhouse where she's got a, she's got like a, a shotgun in her leg or whatever? Oh, yeah. Um, that was Robert Rodriguez's Yeah, part. Robert Rodriguez. I can't think of the oh, name oh, of right, right, not grindhouse. Planet, yeah, so. Planet Terror. Yes. Yeah, yeah right, right. That was amazing too. But they established early on that he's close friends with the president and hangs out with them like on a regular basis. He knows he's in like pecking or whatever at the time in his summer house. Yeah, he wants to kill him. Yeah, suddenly he wants to kill him. And they don't explain that shift in any way. You know, I don't get the fact that, I mean, it's funny that all his like injuries, right? Like it also is a play on almost Western mythology, you know, the Native American mythology of like your scars are part of your like power and masculinity. And like, they're mm -hmm. all faked, right? Like he's not actually this man of steel. He doesn't actually have a hurt eye. He has a clean face, right? Mm -hmm. But that was intriguing, yeah. right? Yeah, no, like, that was surprising. He looked totally fucked up in the, uh, totally distorted and wounded and scarred. Mm -hmm. And then he takes off his mask and <laughs> he looked like David Carradine. <laughs> again, I was going to say, I was surprised when she said, you have the perfect legs. And I was like, again, today, those are not filmable legs. But damn, like, <laughs> I'm like, those were, those were like surgically repaired. Like, really? Like, yeah. again, like, look at Stallone's legs now at 70. They're not, they're better than those or, ones. That, that was just, or yeah, her I was, legs. I was top of that. Or better. Yeah, or her legs. Yeah, her legs. <laughs> like, there you go. That. Good legs. Yeah. But anyways, you know, he loves this sport. Supposedly he survived like the 97 crash, whatever. They kept bringing up years, right? I love those like kind of iconic fake references to yeah. these big events in the past, right? He's the head honcho in the sport. The only one that's a true nemesis is Stallone's character, right? Machine Gun Joe. And we get this vibe that, you know, he's this like outlaw figure who just like loves his trade, right? He's like the archetypal male professional, right? Who's like, just wants to do his job. And he totally sells himself out, sells his sport out at the end suddenly. And you don't know why. You don't know the incentive for it. Yeah. You don't get why, you know. I don't see how he sells the sport out. Well, he, 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 he literally wins. abolishes the he sport the though, he says. Yeah, but then he joins the resistance and, and abolishes the sport, they say, because it promotes violence and they want a violent, free yeah. society. Oh, okay. And then the announcer asks, well, don't you think your popularity will diminish now that you've gotten rid of like the thing that made you popular? And then in a very ironic sense, this is the only thing that's actually interesting to me. He uses violence to kill the, uh, the, the reporter 
which shows his hypocrisy. So it shows that they're not like so pro him. It yeah. goes back to that conversation because what does the announcer say to him? He's like, you can't do it. Again, racing is a part of red-blooded America. Kind of, kind of like conversation said, that connection to the violence and the racing. And like you said, the irony of like, you can't get rid of one to necessarily replace the other. Yeah. And also it seems like he just got swayed. Like, I mean, there like was, you said, he has the like, navigator who convinced him. I feel like it's like yeah. the subtext maybe of that. Because you're right, there's no verbal acknowledgement of like where he has that Luke Skywalker moment. He's like, oh, yeah, the force is really cool. I think I want to start doing that. You know, like he doesn't have that with like, yeah, democracy is a kind of a cool thing. Maybe we should like help with that. <laughs> like, like, I agree. I feel like if you're I think we're supposed to maybe assume like she sways him because um, he doesn't kill her. Right. He puts her to sleep with that drink and then tries to do his own plan to kind of salvage both of them. But it's not really made explicit, though. You're right. They should have had some sort of a trauma that he like actually is amazing at the sport, but does want to eradicate it. That would make mm. sense. Right. And yeah. so, like he's now rivals with the president. But like, I don't like this at all. I'd rather have him be, you know, in the rollerball sense, a rival with the president who's just trying to control the sport for monetary reasons. Right. And manipulate it behind the scene. And I mean, that's such a great film in terms of its themes actually resonating. I know that I'm going too deep here and probably taking too much of a uh, deconstructive stance at something that doesn't almost deserve, you know, a substantive critique. But then like, it is interesting to look at it seriously too, because it is so similar and parallel to these other films and does something different. And I just don't get at all what it's trying to do. Every time I put my finger on the pulse of this movie, it did something new. And like, I didn't find anything cohesive, right? Even the resistance, which is like really cornily written. I already mentioned the name, Thomas Saint Payne or whatever. And they're just yeah. so goofy. Yes. Like in a barn, they suddenly know where they are all times and show up at all. Anyways, I don't want to get into logistics. No, no. yeah. I'd like to you brought up the resistance though, because the resistance is one of my favorite parts about this movie. Not again, because it makes the movie, it's one of the worst parts about the movie. You're talking about a good movie, but if you're talking about a wacky ass race, you need people who come and do the shenanigans. And try to disrupt right. the race, right? That's a standard, yeah. you know, three act like tactic. You have to have that. And they literally pulled the wily e. coyote with a fake tunnel, right? And actually did that with, yes. with a real fake tunnel. <laughs> that had me dying. Like, I mean, the simplicity yeah. of it all. And it like, yes. I mean, I, I loved how literal it was. And like, and their roles were just so like disruptive and like apparent. And the total wily e. coyote, she goes right off the cliff through the fake tunnel yeah. and it blows up. I like the one with the mine where they set up the mine for um calamity jane right and they're trying to get her to run yeah. over the mine she beats she outwits yeah. them and then she backs up twice and the second time she backs up it hits it right that yeah. actually built some pretty strong tension i gotta say when that explosion <laughs> went off it was like a good explosion but i was like that was some good some good yeah. work on the camera and the, and the music I, I was i liked some of those i think the, the like you said the resistance brought more to this movie than i think a lot of critics are going to give them any even acknowledge there what they contribute to this movie uh but it's one of the reasons i think i was like so like on board just like you said just watch it and have fun with how stupid it is and off the wall it is and every time they'd come in there it's like it's like a reminder like you know this isn't a serious movie despite you know like we just went through like the overarching themes like these little areas have been threaded into that you know they make you think anyone who's a film buffer critiques film they're gonna make you go down that road but it kind of brings you back to like the fun of like oh these are just this is just the next like prank if you will um, yeah. which I, I really liked about it. It, was, it, it brought the, it was a good structure. Like again, with this, mm -hmm. it will be just an hour and a half and like, it just really balanced it with, with me just being on board as, as you said, that kind of fun audience member. Yeah. In terms of a film being charitable to what its intentions are and what it will do for you, your reading is better. Like look at it. as like a Looney Tunes episode writ large with like real life characters and hijinks and yeah. shenanigans. Yeah. Right. And don't look at it as like a rollerball, right? But I was just doing that for the yes. sake of, you know, the context of our of our yeah. series, right? Yeah. And our and our discussion and, and and the fact that those 
themes are here. They're they're definitely trying to echo those to kind of pad the film. It's funny how much they miss, but it doesn't matter because they're just there for fluff. They're just there Mm -hmm. to like, just fill the space between. I mean, the point is interesting too, because uh, they set it up in a way pretty well. I mean, they kind of overdid it and constantly the great Frankenstein and, you know, over and over again, right? You know, like it's a great Gatsby or something, you know? (laughs) But uh, I like the writing in the beginning when you just talk about Frankenstein, right? The announcer, it was pretty good, actually. It's like, sole survivor of the Titanic pileup of 95, Frankenstein, ripped up, wiped out, battered, shattered, preened, and reamed. <laughs> a dancer at the brink of death. Love it. You know, great stuff there. And and he comes out and he's, you know, he's a wreck and, and he just seems to support this whole thing. The race that's killing everybody. But then at the end, yeah, I, I see your point about the betrayal of that. But uh, they could have done a much better job in that. Maybe she finally gets through to him in some way that this is a horrible thing. And he's been a, he's a pawn like uh, Jonathan E is a pawn for the whole capitalist experience in rollerball. Um, that would have worked perfectly. Yeah. You know? If they had, they had that scene, just like after, you know, right. they laid a, down to bed in what looks like a school gymnasium turned into a futuristic room. I don't know if you noticed, but like there's an exit sign. I, I just love the setting. It's <laughs> <laughs> so, like a really obscure reference. with like a workout room. Well, we'll use it for the bed scene too. Yeah. <laughs> Rankenstein and, needs a lot of room to maneuver when during his sex scenes, he had a lot of room. Which kind of makes sense because yeah. they keep ending up having dinners and massages and like gatherings at these random like kind of either regal or big facilities across the country um which makes zero sense because they have early on like a a voiceover and a screen where they show the map and they say that they all took different routes and they're wildly different and they're supposed to do this race in a few days how are they all meeting up again like one went towards north dakota one went down towards south carolina yet they end up every night (laughs) at the same Um, kind of a race is that man yeah We're just used to this traffic in, L- in the L.A. area and over yeah. here. Like, in the future, in 2000 future, you could just drive. But, Everyone goes inside. All the people don't want to get hit by their cars. So, you know, you just, it's free roads. The good old days. <laughs> Gas was 10 cents a gallon. You uh, can take your car out on the purge. <laughs> and they don't even set up like can't drive past a certain time because like they're a dual team. Why aren't they driving at night? Like what's yeah. going on here? Like I you, tore yeah. it. You, just you bring turns. up a good point though. I was kind of out of you where I was taken aback by when they stop and they have like yeah. I love like, the like, we are talking about the scene where they're getting like the rub down after the race, but like yeah. that's the first time where we see like this race is like not multiple races. Yeah. Right. I had this NASCAR kind of my idea, like I said earlier, of like it's a race where they're gonna complete some kind of circuit mm-hmm. and then the winner of that moves on. Like we just did speed racer. I was thinking like that. Yeah. Before. And like you said, it's not, it doesn't really explain the rules. So it's a lot of just kind of like it unfolds and it leaves you to like judge. But that was one that kind of threw me back yeah. as like as, as a viewer, like I said, I was like, I don't really get the rules of this race. Like, why are they all buddy buddy hanging out, getting like rub downs? Yeah. <laughs> you're you're it's all about hitting people and scoring points, and who cares where you go? Just gotta yeah. end up at the Holiday Inn, you know, on State Street in downtown St. Louis, you know, at some point in the night we have the massage coming in, and I guess dinner. A dinner and a massage like when you yeah. describe it like that it's really not a bad setup for a race no. like, oh, it's just one location it's just, you just get there yeah. and like you said you get a massage and dinner at the end at Sorry, the same time right like herbie herbie films <laughs> okay they're more plausible like literally herbie has like better race 
dynamics in this. And what, and what I don't get, right, is like yeah. the 10th victim, right? Jordan and I covered this on a different podcast episode as well. It's very similar to this, Covell. You should check it out. It's kind of inspired the Austin Powers movies. And it's okay. like Fellini's crew. It's all Fellini's people. Um, anyways, oh. that film, kind of similar. That's just like you're like in this game of yeah. cat and mouse where you kill someone. But still, like they have okay. heavily featured broadcasters, like TV personalities, right? Like this film, right? Or another film I watched and did Endgame. They have TV personalities who are providing the mm-hmm. exposition. They lay out the rules in both those movies very clearly because you have these yes. devices set up to lay out the rules. They have it so easily there. That's what's yeah. preposterous about this. It's like they were so quick to just like produce this and throw it out there. Like they they, yeah. they didn't care at all. No. Whoever went over the screenplay, like I'm not even worried about the screenwriters themselves. Like whoever's job it was to like check this thing out <laughs> and pat it and clean it up, failed. Like, yeah. The yeah. cars were so lame too. I mean, I, I don't know. You just kind of, you buy it, you know, okay, yeah. whatever. But like, like he said, the guy, that one guy, critics said like the fiberglass is a little bit on the outside and little horns and things and fangs. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that was cute, but I thought it was terrible too. But I do think the film is better for these things. Like the, <laughs> the, the bad cars, the bad plot. I do think this yeah. one, because it is so, I don't it's know. It's having fun with it. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's is, not taking things seriously. As it's much as I'm complaining, if it stuff. had more serious stuff in it, it would probably be a worse film. Um, so yeah. I don't even know if they like just gave up at a certain point and knew that, or if it just worked out the like serendipitously for them. Do they do it in the sequel? Do you know? I have or no idea. Not, I, I didn't remember, see it. I, don't remember the I really feel like that's a more coherent film with Statham. I feel like that's more like a, a legit yeah. action movie that would like have real yes. tension and suspense. Not that this didn't in isolated moments, right? Yes. But if you have and any logic budget. brain, it doesn't have any suspense or you know friction in the grander scheme because nothing makes sense, right? Suddenly they're on the last day of the race and Stallone, right, his machine gun. Joe is just standing there watching Carradine being chased by the helicopters and stuff, right? Why is he out of his car? Why is he not driving at this point? Like, they just go on and on. Nothing makes sense, like, at any point in this movie in terms of, like, a race. I don't care. I mean, it just works in episodic vignettes, right? Take this as, like, a a, almost a slapstick stream of jokes and slash action slash camp horror sequences, right? I mean, you brought up Dawn of the Dead, Jordan. It, it does have that horror element when you have exploding heads and so forth. And you have like the, the gnarly kills again and again. But I also Covell did like he brought up the announcer because I personally, he was the best actor to me in the film. I'm, I mean, I, I, said, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Right. He was great. Yeah. I was the, the announcer captured yeah. like in terms of the sports element, like what you need from like an announcer. He's like such a good like Bruce Buffer, like filler and what, you know, throwing any of those announcing names, those talking personalities. Yeah. And I love, like you said, he has these important, like we already mentioned, important like lines and he, he's the only one, he's probably the best, like you said, the best actor. He's the only one you really. Yeah. He, he did a good job. In it, yeah. So I, I think Death Race 2000, Death Race in 2008, it's just called Death Race, is yeah. much more serious. Okay. Is a much more serious film. Yeah. Okay. Uh, three three stars. <laughs> uh, Jason Strat- Stratham, Joan Allen, and my favorite, Ian McShane. He must be the bad guy in that. Oh, he nice. always is. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, too. he's released from prison and has to complete yeah. this race. I remember this one has much more like so, a more cohesive plot and explains it much better. Like, yeah, it's probably where they're going after, like, you know, why they're, you know, their motivation but, is much more clear. Doesn't yeah. have as many stars as this one, though. That's for sure. Because <laughs> people love this film. <laughs> hey, like this, that one does not have David Carradine versus Stallone. That's how I'm going to sell it. So I tell people, you want these David Carradine yes. and Stallone yes, go at it. You. you watch this movie. 
it has set the precedent, I think, for so much, right? Like, I'm sure this is so formative in its own right. Just like in terms of action sequences and stuff, even when they miss, like they're setting up the syntax. I mean, cinema is not that old. In the 70s, it's still very early on. Like we only had like dozens of movies a year at most until like the 50s. Um, yeah. And then like a few hundred a year. I mean, we don't have very many films out this time. Like really, no, we don't. if you think about like how much we, we make now it. each year, right? <laughs> we almost make like the same amount of movies in like two years now as we would have made the first 50 years in cinema cinematic history, which it's, yeah. it's a weird thing to think about back and forth. So yeah, they're definitely pioneers in that sense of this film. Um, so you have to respect and right. love it for that too. But I noticed like, you know, the editing's pretty bad at times. I mean, like, you know, just like there are shots that don't go together. The continuity's a little off, like the car's falling and suddenly there's like a cut to an explosion and the car's in a different position. The rhythms are a little off, right? But I still even there think like it's so sh showing and telling of like the mistakes you made early on as like an early inventor, as an early experimenter of these filmmaking styles and techniques that I was appreciating that because you see like how they hadn't perfected these things. So anyways, yes. I think we had an awesome but, convo. And yes, it's a fun go, film. <laughs> yeah. Before we go and ask you, Cavell, uh, would yeah. you consider this an overrated or underdog film? Uh, definitely underdog, though. Again, I was surprised by the the amount of, of positive reviews and just the stars, you know. But I think it, it, in this case, you don't watch this film unless you know what you're getting into, kind of. You're open to these kinds of films, you know, something about it. Because, like, my son and, my, my, and his friends... They would probably wouldn't make it through the first few minutes because so the production's so bad. And they're all about, you know, the, the generations are all about top production, which I can understand, but they don't get the joys of B films, you know, of, of things that are made in a more comical, lighthearted, cheap, <laughs> cheaper uh, way. Whereas, you know, with I think with a lot of horror films get blasted all the time that are pretty good because people, the horror audience is always looking for horror and then they don't like it. It's like, that's like, ah, like one star, you know, and and then the other people will like it, you know. So I often think about these ratings and, and it's just kind of trippy to think that this film would get such a high rating, you know? Yeah, yeah no, I, I agree. That's a great point. It is so weird. But it's underrated. Definitely yeah. underrated. Okay, underrated. Well, thanks for coming on too. And so I know you got to run, but but thanks for coming on. Hey, I'll be thanks again, it. guys. And great chatting about all sorts of things. And, um, you know, keep having fun and, and uh, you know, doing your thing. Awesome. You too. Love Thank you guys. You. Take, Take care. care. Peace. Love you. Take care. Awesome. So now, Jordan, I'll move it to you. Pass the baton. Do you consider this uh, underdog or overrated and why? And you could also just go into anything you wanted to say too, because I know we kind of wrapped it pretty quickly there. Yeah. I got to say, I'm pretty obvious in my, my score on this one. This one is definitely an um, underdog, not overrated by any means. I was going to say, if you haven't seen this Jason Statham one yet, just start with this one. Give this one a shot and then go see the new one. Do the opposite of what I did with Rollerball. Do yourself a favor and go back. Go in the, in the original order, I would say, with this one. Um, but yeah, I'd say it's an underdog for all those reasons we you discuss. It's just, it's a fun one. Like I said, I like the way he discussed why the reasons his son probably wouldn't like it is the reasons I was into it. As soon as I saw the, uh, what I call the storyboard backdrop, where it looks like the cityscape's just like drawn on the back of a cereal <laughs> box. And then it cuts back to, you know, film. And then we go back to it and there's like this bright green, what's supposed to be like a 
monorail going through the cereal box. I don't know what artist thought bright green is like the color to go with that with your limited technology, but that cheapness just made me, I was like, oh, this is so cool. Um, it reminded me again, like for my experience, like it's not on the level of Clash of the Titans, but for those of you who like the original Clash of the Titans and that style of action, you can deal with, you know, like you said, dated CGI, dated technology, whatever you want to call it. It speaks to you. That was the moment it spoke to me. I was yeah. like, this is so fucking cool. <laughs> like they literally just threw up like a cartoon thing and went back. So I thought that was really cool. It spoke to again, like how, like how cheap of a budget we're working with. It's such a cool, like signal of what you're in for. And I, like I said earlier in our discussion, there's a lot of good signaling, I think on who, who the screenplay and director of just to remind you of just, you know, the fun of a movie, you know, to sit in the seat and just watch the screen and accept, like you said, the absurdity of what's going on. And that's, that's the fun of, for me, a lot of the fun of, uh, just good storytelling too not necessarily high storytelling or profound storytelling or anything like that just like you know good stories stories that you know resonate you with you for whatever reason this one i think is going to stick with me was that b movie i remember before it was ed wood which i think uh, cobell mentioned in that review i think this is the one i'm gonna have to like compare to ed wood i'm gonna have to go back and watch with it and i feel like this is a more f- accessible way to get people into just you know like you said bad movies b movies and to see like the charm of them yeah, this is such an Edward film for its genre, right? That's that's definitely the approach that you do. I didn't know coming into that that this was like a really fun B movie. I had an inkling of it because I read a smattering of reviews, but I read them very like in snippets. I wanted to just like whet my like appetite enough to get excited, but I didn't want to ruin anything or spoil anything for the film. And so I came in and like, you know, within 15 minutes, as you said, like you realize this is one extremely low budget in a way that's that's comically, you know, amusing, but also adorable. Like in the sense that the futuristic green monorail that goes on in the background, it looks like, as you said, a storyboard shot from like Tomorrowland, the, <laughs> the recent film. Um, but like they just, that was the technology then. Like 30 years ago, we were just putting like literally the drawn illustrations onto the backshot of this of this scene. I, I do think that the green monorail is just so that they're like, how are we going to make it stick out? We need to make sure that people see this thing, right? They wanted to ensure we saw the detail, which is hilarious too. They're so uncertain of their technology and of what was going to like be the end product that they overcompensate. That's kind of like the whole film too, is like mm-hmm. overcompensating so that their humor or their point or their desire for certain action sequences or for certain jokes to be lost, I feel. I feel like there's no subtlety on purpose because- they didn't, you know, have enough confidence in a way, perhaps this is just like my impression that everything was going to get through with the, with the like probably rushed shoot and the lack of, you know, money. And mm-hmm. so what we get is everything is over the top. Everything's very legible, digestible and short. I love how short this is 80 minutes. It's just yeah. whip fast, extremely breezy and entertaining. And there's a funny, funny line in the film are my favorite characters. We just mentioned the announcer, right? And this is right after the, uh, euthanasia slash driving through the nurses and doctors scene. Mm. And he says the announcer to the, you know, the TV speaking through a really kick-ass microphone. I love this little, yeah, the little clear one, clear one, right. It's really skinny kind of had like a, t- it's a TV on it. It looked like almost the MTV logo, like a mm. pre MTV logo. And he, he says that now that's humor, 100% red blooded American humor. So we, we said that they brought up, you know, red blooded, violence but they also talked about how it's also red-blooded humor and they're kind of like hand in hand which is part of the grotesquerie the macabre nature and sensibility of of the nation right and so it kind of has it all it's such an american film i think even the dumb puns which are very jokey 
like that I've made fun of before as being bad writing in a way, right? Thomas Stana Payne or whatever. They work in the <laughs> every time <laughs> the you parts. Say that, I gotta laugh. Sorry. Yeah, right? <laughs> That's the whole point. They understand that. They're 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 kind of like debunking our mythology about the founding fathers at the same time. They're kind of poking fun at everything. Mm-hmm. There's no seriousness here, in my opinion, at the end of the day. Right? It's a film filled with levity. Um, so yeah, I I, I do agree it's an underdog movie. I also think that many modern audience members might come away thinking this is overrated because it does have a lot of praise now. It has a cult status. All of us loved it. We quickly got on board. But beware, listeners, that this is all the things we said magnified, right? This isn't like maybe a good film hidden under its campy Ed Wood Venus. No, it's it's those things, or you're not gonna enjoy it, yeah. right? If you if you're a, a only serious cinephile who wants you know everything to coalesce into something that feels unified and distinct. And uh well, it is singular, right? It's it's, yeah. it's a singular film. But, but it's not um, unified, like you said, it's fair. It's, yeah, not, it's, not, it's not unified at all. No. And like and like I said, the plot holes are part of the appeal to you and so are the props like you know we did uh the 10th victim right those futuristic props are so fun the cameraman with this huge boxy jetpack like thing they have just weird futuristic speculative futuristic props that i love just random shit that they throw in there just like someone with very little money very little things to work with saying like let's make it so that it seems like it's you know 30 25 years in the in the future (laughs) um so death race 2000 has an 81% on the tomato meter. Wow. Out of 37 reviews, people agree. Um, the critics have come to their own consensus like we have and <laughs> kind of love this film. And even the audience gives it a 64%. Not, not as high, not as glowing, but it still gets that golden bucket of popcorn, right? And they they call it, I love the little the little byline that Rotten Tomatoes run sometimes. It's usually pretty clever. And they say that Death Race 2000 is a fun, campy classic drawing genuine thrills from its mindless ultraviolence. Well, that was a good description. I like the ultraviolence. You got that kind of clockwork orange theme. Yeah. There. Even the reviewers, like a guy from Entertainment Weekly, Chris Nashawati says, behold the power of cheese, exclamation <laughs> point. <laughs> we're, we're not misreading or off the mark here, right? We're definitely better place on the map than the characters in this film. <laughs> What did you find? Are you going to go into some critics or straight to Letterbox? Let's go to Letterbox. I like Letterbox okay. on this one. So this yeah. one comes from, we've talked about him before. Demi writes, cartoonish in every sense of the word, especially in a few moments where it straight up uses Looney Tunes gags as a significant part of its plot. A great satire of sports, celebrity, and bloodlust that doesn't really hit in any meaningful way, but it's honestly very fun both when it's trying to be and when it's not trying to be. Completely 100% agree with this band's re- or this person's review. Like I say, basically hit the points of what we had our conversation with, what we talked about our conversation with Covell. I think if you get, like I said, if you're fans of the racing genre, not just racing, not just NASCAR, stuff like that, even like the video game genre of, you know, the racing with the fun, like we said, items and what you will, that kind of motif. I think you'll, you'll enjoy this too, or at least have an avenue into it. Yeah. That was a great encapsulation. Perfectly. I love the Looney Tunes bit you brought up too, just separately, mm-hmm. not inspired by that. I'll vouch for you. That was your soul creation Witness too. That, that was, yeah, that, that was legit. So I'm going to stay a little bit with the critics over at Rotten Tomatoes. I like some of their one-liners. So Scott Weinberg at Fearnet wrote a goofy piece of over-the-top mayhem with half a brain. Uh, <laughs> definitely. There are a lot of reiterations of what we said. Kim Newman at Empire wrote, it has a comic strip premise, which is nevertheless wholly credible in a sick sort of way. 
I don't get how he gets any credibility out of this at mm-hmm. all. Uh, another one I found, Mike Massey, who's writing for Gone with the Twins, wrote, Director Paul Bartel stretches all of his limited resources into an unexpectedly amusing bit of schlock that <laughs> not surprisingly would become a cult hit. A real quick summation of what I was saying a lot too with the limited resources, right? It's definitely a part here that I think is important to bring up. We didn't even talk about yet director Paul Bartel. I think it's interesting too. I think he was like an actor for most of his career and he's also a writer. And he was most well-known actually for a 1982 black comedy that was also a cult hit called Eating Raul. I'm really curious to see this now. I've never even heard about it before today, but it's supposedly um, about a prudish married couple who resort to killing and robbing affluent swingers (laughs) to earn money for their dream restaurant. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a fucking American dream. That's how you start a business, right? We were just just talking about how violence and American dream and entrepreneurship just go hand in hand. And now you got swingers in there. I'm, I'm watching this. Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds great. He also directed a movie called Lust in the Dust. It's supposedly another kind of ridiculous movie about a dance hall girl who's lost in the desert and helped to safety. It kind of has like a treasure of Sierra Madre thing with like gold and outlaws and all this, but supposedly it's kind of B-level from what I was reading about it. I'm going to start with the swinger one, then make my way to the uh, treasure of Sierra Madre one. (laughs) That's like up on the top of my list now. Eating Raul. I've never heard of it. I'm so excited. The other one I've never seen though, but I wonder if it has anything to do with like some of the other Beverly Hills movies like Down and Out in Beverly Hills or whatever. But he he made a film called Scenes from the Class Struggle in Beverly Hills. So it's weird. It's weird how many movies are made about Beverly Hills. And it actually reunites him, this one, with his Eating Raul co-stars. So he also starred in Eating Raul as well. So anyways, I went on a long side tangent there about Paul Bartel, but I wanted to give the director a little shout out. What other Letterboxd reviews left you laughing? You know, I I like Josh Lewis's simplicity of this one. His review says, Grindhouse Speed Racer, fucking wild. I like it. I agree. Like that's a good setup for this movie. Like it's it's some weird ass shit. It's it's pretty vibrant given, like you said, what what they're working with. And like it is, it's fucking wild. <laughs> well, the highlights of our discussion have been pretty wild topics. So again, I think just as a plot, it's it's worth watching. Like I mean, yeah, it's like you said, it's, it's one you're you're gonna harp on. You're gonna make fun of it, and as you're watching, you're gonna laugh at like why am I watching it kind of thing. And it's all part of like why you're there. It is. It's a good Grindhouse movie. Yeah, it is. And you brought the Grindhouse element up and we just did Speed Racer with Jed and loved it. I mean, I love it when all the, when all of our elements start to really come together. I'm going to stick. This is fun. I like going back and forth today with you with the letterbox and me with the Rotten Tomatoes um, because Roger Ebert also has a review and it's on the Chicago Sun-Times, of course. Duh, I shouldn't even brought that up, but he gave it zero out of four. Damn. <laughs> and he wrote, I was torn between walking out immediately and staying to witness a spectacle more dismaying than anything on the screen. The way small children were digging gratuitous bloodshed. Gratuitous. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Ouch. Okay. Uh, well, Ebert did not join in on the joke. That's all I'll say with that. Yeah. He took um, that film very serious. Very serious. <laughs> to give a little bit of balance, James was real views. Um, he wrote, could it be argued that the movie is so bad it's good? I suppose, especially if you're a connoisseur of cinematic guano. For me, it's merely bad. But I get that's fair. 
Ebert just went, missed him right over his head. (laughs) (laughs) Any last ones? Uh, Yeah, I've learned on this one. I like this one. Russman gives it three and a half stars. And Russman writes, hmm, let me do some calculations. I think I've acquired... 225 points in my lifetime and he just leaves it at that so i like i like the easter egg reference there oh i like that too yeah and as covell said whether my little retort is true or not i don't know what came first the chicken or the egg right was like that driving down the street yelling points to hit pedestrians i think before the movie or after it we'll never truly know so you can vote for that maybe i'll create a twitter vote whether people think that uh death race 2000 invented that or it existed since a prehistoric man has the end credits get into about Send us like links the- to like your Snopes, your uh, cave paintings, if you can, any pictures of those and we'll decipher them. To me, I bet you like, you know, Neanderthal man was cruising out with his, uh, whatever he was riding on. It wasn't a, a machine, but if he was a real Neanderthal, he was rocking that Mastodon. That's probably like the Bentley, I'd imagine. Yeah, <laughs> like, just like. Oh, dude, you got that Mastodon, man. I'm over here with my saber tooth tiger. One day I get that Mastodon. Yep. And then pointing shit out in the jungle and being like 200 points <laughs> <laughs> in whatever lexicon they're using at the time. So you just be like, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> 200 clams. <laughs> How many points? I don't know. Let's make a point rating for everything. How many points is it to hit a guy with us? <laughs> yeah, I'd put my point where he's like, if you can hit like a telemarketer, it's like 10. You hit like one of them door to door salesmen, it's 20. You take you take down a row, row of like, you know, I don't know. I was gonna say no. I'm gonna say that. <laughs> are, are we gonna get canceled? For yeah. Now? I was just saying. Well, I'll leave that out so you don't have to edit that. <laughs> yeah, we're just reliving the spirit of this black-hearted, dark movie. But all good things come to an end, as this episode <laughs> should at some time. Um, Covell is already, even though he saluted us early, begging to do Fury Road. So we'll ask you that on Twitter, our listeners as well. Whether you think that's a sports movie, it's not. I'll just give you my two cents, but whether you think we should still cover it, because I think we could actually have an interesting discussion of some of the elements in Fury Road, just the visceral adrenaline nature of that movie almost filled sports as. Do you think it's sports? Trying to remember. I know it's basically got a chase, right? That's a big thing of it. It's a chase through the Fury Road, through like the wasteland and all that stuff. I'd say just because I mentioned earlier, like the Northman's more of a sports movie, yeah. right? Because has that plot point. There's a plot point that directly ties to sports and, you know, their version of a sport and athleticism. What did you think about the sports segment in it? I like that scene. That scene was yeah. cool. I like the, uh, I like the, again, I like the, the depiction of the teams, how they have like the slaves are just like small. He's like, obviously the like big one. And then the other people are like, are like, you know, just stacked and buff and well-fed. I did like that. It reminded me of like blood of, um, blood of heroes. Right, where you're just throwing in and it's all about like sticks, hitting, killing the opponent. But there's like a really simplistic way to score to it, which I liked. I just hit the ball against the pole, like a reverse tether ball, which I thought was cool. Yeah, that was that was one of my favorite scenes in that movie. Yeah. And the scene with the the sun running in and then almost getting clobbered. And so yeah. the lead SARS guard has to just destroy the the brood. I mean, that was brutal, but they do, as you said, kind of deflect the camera a lot. They do yeah. withdraw from the gore a lot in the movie. I think it was to not get that NC-17 rating. because I like smart, too, because it, it yeah. helps, in my opinion, exemplify like, what makes what I really like about, like, again, like the psychological aspects, just the good camera work, just a lot of just great scenery <laughs> movie in general, like great setting and stuff like that. That was That's the thing that really stuck out to me on that one. For sure. For sure. Um, but that's fun. I, I was like immediately tweeting Jordan for our listeners yeah. after I saw that, like, 
it's got a sports scene. It's got a, <laughs> it's got a definite, like not 20 minutes, like a 10 minute match. That's really yeah. visceral and bloody and high production values, which we don't get a lot. You know, we love the bloody heroes, but the we're, talk, we're talking like a grainy old, old film stock yeah. with that. Um, so that was pretty badass. But anyways, we'll, we'll probably do Mad Max at some point. Um, Hunger Games, we're going to keep with this with Kobo and yeah. just this ongoing subgenre that we're doing. I, I call them all uh, you know, sports movies with an asterisk, I would say. Mm-hmm. So we had a blast. We're going to be also doing Karate Kid 2 very yeah. soon. Um, we got to get back to our Untold series. I mean, we got so many cool overlapping. We're actually going to come back. We're going to come back to do both this and Rollerball because we're going to come back and check out the remakes. Because uh, you want to see like, you know, a discussion where not where they hold up, but, you know, differences, whatever, pros and cons. Yep. I would love to do those too soon. Yeah. Um, and we also have some more Stallone movies to do. <laughs> so we got a time. <laughs> we're not done with the Sloan rabbit hole. That, that, that's been open. Those, that kind of worms has been open and we're not done with that yet. Yep. So that's our new progression here is we're trying to keep things thematic, but you know, we remember things pretty well within the, you know, a year or so. So we're going to jump around, keep it fresh and just keep things rolling. So thanks for listening. And Jordan, where can people find us? Yeah. You can find us on Twitter at cinematic underdogs. Uh, Of course you find us on Spotify, iTunes, really anywhere you can find a podcast. We're on there. And of course, we always appreciate the comments, chirps, likes, let us know what you think of these episodes and we'll hit you back up. Well said. All right, everyone. That's it for today. Uh, Thanks for listening and uh, go check out Death Race 2000.